Well, yesterday I, I double dipped. I do that thing I do occasionally. I had two weddings uh, in the same day, and I ran home to switch from the gray suit to the black suit. I was talking to my daughter. She's 12, almost 13. She says, Daddy, you try to do too much, don't you? I said, I do, baby, I do. She said, when, when, when I get married one day, are you going to preach it, or are you going to walk me down the aisle? I said, I'm going to kill some dude. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do that day, okay? I just, dads aren't ready for some questions, right? Uh, listen, I know a guy. It's not my story. It's his story. But I know a guy who lives in Texas. Uh, this all happened in Missouri. But here's his story of that, that day when it came, and he asked his uh, girlfriend to marry him. He picked her up in his car, and they drove to um, a lake. And at this lake, there was a boat waiting on them. And they got in this boat, this really cool ski boat, and they just spun around the lake and had a, had a great time. And after 30 to 45 minutes, they ended up on the boat on an island, a beautiful little stretch of land. And he had a picnic set up, okay? And on that um, picnic, they had a some, some, little something to eat, a little something to snack on, maybe a little wine, cheese cracker, something like that. Uh, again, his story, not mine. But they just, he just had a nice romantic little uh, picnic there on the island. They get back in the, the boat and they head to the shore and his car is gone, but waiting for them is a limousine. And my boy gets his girl in the limousine and they, they drive to an airfield. And at this airfield, there's an airplane. And they get in the airplane. It's one of those, you know, death trap puddle jumpers, you know. They put their headsets on both of them with the, the thing where they can talk to each other. And they get in this small plane and, and they, they fly around. And they just tour some beautiful Ozark mountain scenery. They land the plane and they get out and get in just a, an old truck. I mean, a, a ghetto, beat up, jalopy, hoopty kind of truck. And they take that uh, truck to an old college chapel. And inside the chapel, it's, uh, it's decorated like a wedding. There's those candle lights that are lit so beautifully. Rose petals line the aisle. It's adorned with various uh, flowers of different colors and dimensions. And there's this giant card with her name on it. And he's walking behind her. She leads the way and hesitancy, he, with hesitance, she looks back and he says, open the card that card with your name on it. She opens this giant card and it says, will you? And it's that moment, bam, she turns and he's on a knee and he says, will you marry me? She says, yes. And they rejoice. Now, what a story that is, huh? He takes her to dinner after that. And they begin, he begins to explain to her the symbolic representation of each vehicle. I mean, right? Huh? He says, the car that I, that I picked you up in, that, that symbolizes the normal, everyday, routine, humdrum, monotony of life. It, it, it's just us being normal. And here's what you can expect from me on the many, many, many normal days of our lives together. I love for each other. Here's what you can expect. Here's what I promise you. And he says... The boat represents the fun and the adventure. It's when we're in, enjoying life and the good times are just rolling. We're outdoors. Things are going our way. And here's what you can expect from me during the boat days. Here's what I promise to you. The, the limousine, it, it represents 
when things get tough, when circumstances and sorrows come our way and we're not even able to drive ourselves. We need people. We're going to need some family. We're going to need some friends. And they're going to help us get to where we need to go. That's what the limousine represents. And during the limousine days, here's what you can expect from me. Here's what I promise to you. And the airplane days, those days represent when you and I are growing spiritually together. We've lifted off and we see the bigger picture. God's doing something in our lives. Here's what you can expect from me during the airplane days. And here's what I promise to you. And the truck, the beat up ghetto hoopty truck, that represents you and I growing old together. When your autumn hair is faded to gray, when your shoulders slump, when wrinkles are there, here's what you can expect from me. Here's my love for you. Here's what I promise you. Now, married men, just, just look over to your wife right now and just say, I'm sorry, okay? Just look at her right now. Just say, I didn't know, boo. I'm sorry. I didn't know. Just didn't know. I'm sorry. Now, single men, look right here, eye contact, okay? When that day comes and you propose, she's going to get asked two questions 75 billion times between when you propose and the day of the wedding. She's going to say, the friends are going to say, let me see the ring and how'd he do it, right? So single man, pay attention, okay? You don't want to be there that day, you know, and have a ring set up on your toe and say, hey, baby, would you like, you know, rub my feet? Oh, look, yeah. Don't, don't be that guy, right? Not, don't, don't be that guy. You're going to be asked, how'd you do it? And she'll be telling your kids years and years from now. God gives us a lot of promises. And here's what I would say about my married friend. He, he doesn't know. When he, when he promised that, when he talked about the symbolism, he, he didn't know. He didn't know what days would come. He didn't know about the normal days. He didn't know about the boat rides and the fun. He didn't know how many there would be and what they would be like. And maybe there'd be days when he'd be on the boat and the wind would be going through his hair and he would love it, but she would not. I mean, he doesn't know about uh, the airplane ride and growing spiritually. Here's what I know. When an airplane takes off, it's the most dangerous part of the ride. It requires lift and force and thrust, and it's difficult. And spiritual growth, my friend doesn't know that. He doesn't know that spiritual growth is really difficult for two people to grow together is is difficult. It's dangerous. He doesn't know any of that. He doesn't know when they'll need the limo and who's going to drive them and what's the extent of those sorrows and circumstances. We make promises, don't we? And I, I think about that guy. I think, you know, it, I mean, that's a pretty good deal. You got to admit it, right? I mean, that's a pretty good engagement. I've, I've seen maybe one or two recently on YouTube that kind of come close but my boy brought it, didn't he? I mean, I asked him years ago, hey, disciple me, okay? I want to learn from you. But, I mean, where do you get a plane, right? Who do you know that can fly a plane like that? And, you know, but I bet you, you know, down the road he's using that, right? She's like, why isn't the kitchen clean? He's like, hey, I got, to, I, got, I got you a plane. How about that boat ride we went on, right? We make promises. The question is, do we fulfill them? And I'm putting it in the realm of the romantic because, ladies, you know when a man brings it that strong, and he knocked it out of the park, but when he does that, there's an anticipation. There's an expectation there. And if one doesn't fulfill promises, then resentment and bitterness take root, don't they? And there's this inverse relationship. And over these weeks, we are saying, we are opening our hearts and our minds to consider the fact that God has made promises to us. He knows, different than my friend, he knows every circumstance that awaits you. He makes the promises nonetheless, and he is always faithful and true 
to fulfill his promises. He makes lavish promises. Last week, we looked at the promise of the cross. And this whole series is flowing out of a passage in 2 Corinthians 1.20 where it says, For all the promises of God in him, in Jesus, we find to be yes. God wants to be an affirmative God in your life. We looked last week at creation. Uh, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of the God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. He's created a vast and beautiful world in which we are to live in. We mentioned that God creates and he creates the creative process. Scripture, Genesis is history and it's poetry and we don't know everything about the beginning of it. Moses wrote this with uh, uh, creation being self-evident. But God says uh, through the book of Proverbs, this great wisdom that the hearing ear and the seeing eye, God has made them both. We ought to marvel more and more as we learn about the world in which we live in and as we learn about ourselves. The implications are many, but mostly it's this, that God created us. He created you. And therefore, he, he has something for you. He, has, he ought to have rule and dominion over your life. You're his. First Corinthians 6, you've been bought with a price. Today, we want to consider the the promise of the cross jesus in the most in the best way possible the most sacrificial way ever says to you yes in the cross yes through the sacrificial love uh, that he gave us look if you would at galatians 6:14 you can turn your phones on or turn to a passage uh, a bible in front of you or just look up at the screen galatians 6:14 says the following But far be it from me to boast, except in what? In the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul, he's laying down the relationship. What Jesus has done impacts me in in every way. Uh, Most of you probably heard the idea that religion says do, 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 do. And Jesus on the cross says it's done. The work is done. Far be it from me to boast. Now, Paul says that. Paul's a man, okay? And here's what I know. When men get together, don't you know this? When men get together, we love to share war stories. And by sharing war stories, what I mean by that is we love to talk about the deal, the deer that we killed or the deal that we closed or the promotion that we got or the play that we made in the game that we won. We love to brag about the fish that we caught. Um, Several guys in our church went down for a couple of days of fishing in Venice. I was among them. And what I learned about the guy, I learned a lot about the guys, some of whom are elders and deacons in our church. But I learned that Jonathan Dillmore and uh, Durden Pillow and Brent Shorter and Nathan Smith and Tyler Hendricks and Stanton Troy, I learned that those guys can fish and those guys can boast about their fishing. Those guys love to boast. Not so much Stan Troy. He's a good man. He's a godly man. He loves Jesus. But those other guys are just boasting nonstop. I've had to put my phone up just since getting back from the coast this weekend. They've just been blowing up my phone boasting about who caught the most and who caught the biggest and who's the best. Men love to boast, especially those guys. (laughs) Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says this. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me and my loving kindness. Paul's saying the cross is so important. 
In a verse that a lot of you know, I would say a good 70% of this room possibly. For by grace you've been saved. It's, it's not a result of works, it's by, but it's by faith. That none of us would do what? That none of us would boast. It, it's his grace. Paul would say to the church at Corinth, don't let any man think more highly of himself than he ought to. In Philippians 3, Paul would say, carrying on this theme, he would say, Here are, here's a litany, here's a catalog, here's a, a bunch of my accomplishments, academically, intellectually, socially. Here, here it is. You know this, but it means nothing to me. It's all but rubbish. The cross does that to us. The cross gives us this sense that we need God's grace, that that our works aren't good enough, that the sacrifices we make fall short. History tells us that Pilate wrote something. He, he wrote something at, uh, at the cross that day. He, he wrote in, in Hebrew, uh, the language of the people of God. He wrote in Greek, the, the language of the culture of the world in that day. He wrote in Latin, the language of the Roman Empire. And he wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And some of you know what I know about history, that that was done in derision and in mockery. And the powerful person, God, man, and Jesus, he laid down, the scripture says, he laid down his life for us. Jesus was clear in this, that it was a life laid down, not a life taken. Herod didn't take it. Pilate didn't take it, Caesar didn't take it, the chief priest didn't take it, the crowd didn't take it. Jesus in John 10 said, I lay down my life for my sheep. He outmaneuvered, he outlasted because he outloved. The cross is a message of the supremacy of sacrificial love. It, it takes away boasting, doesn't it, when we, when we know that we fall short? it's not good enough, you'll never be talented enough. You're trying, aren't you? You'll, you'll never be smart enough, you're trying. You'll never be good-looking enough. We're trying, aren't we? I've noticed through the years and even through the decades that, that uh, as you get older, people will, will move from just saying, hey, you look good. I used to get that, you look good. Hey, you look good. And now they add a few words on that. Have you noticed some of you? They notice, you look good, say it with me, you look good for your age. That's what I hear some. Not a lot. I don't hear that a lot. But I hear it some. Hey, you, you don't look so bad. You look, you know, for your age. In other words, compared to other people that are decaying and that are flabby and all, you don't look that bad, right? We, what are we working for? What are we, what are we yearning for? What are we longing for? And Paul is saying the cross gives us this beautiful picture of grace. More than once, I've been at my house. And I have been on a frantic search for, for, for car keys. And you'd like to have a better image of your pastor, I guess. But I'm on this frantic search. My voice goes up, the decibel level, the intensity of it. And I do something you would never do. But I began in, in the search for my car keys. I began to, because I'm late for a meeting, I began to blame other people in the same home. Imagine that, right? Isn't that tough? I need God's grace in my life. This never happens to you, but I blame other people. I blame my wife. I blame my kids. I start calling them out by name. I'm ready for like a mass domestic execution because somebody took my keys. I didn't misplace them. 
They took them. They need to come out. One of them needs to confess. And don't cushion the confession. Tell me when you took them and where. Give me my keys. And more than once, I found them right here. Found them right in my own pocket. And I would say to us that in so many ways, this gospel message of the cross should intersect our lives because we are, we're frantically searching for something that we already possess. Jesus wants to say to those who are weary and heavy laden, who are trying to work for things and look for love and earn approval, Jesus is trying to say, he wants to say to you, you have what you need. So for a few minutes before we close, I want to share with you four quick things that represent the cross and uh, its transforming work in our lives. In a word, it's grace. In a word, it's God's unmerited favor for you and I. A word that's so counterintuitive that we just, we, we find it difficult to experience it and express it to other people. But here's the first thing, that the, the first message of the, the yes of the cross is this, is that it redeems the penalty. The penalty of sin is gone. Look at this passage in Colossians. He has delivered us. We just sang a moment ago about the breaking every chain. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. There's that word, the forgiveness of sins. How many sins? All of our sins. There's a legal debt, the scripture says. The result of our sin. And let me say this, when it says the domain of darkness, that's not, we're not talking about uh, spooky movies. We're not talking about Hollywood glam. We're talking about a reality. And I, I wonder, it's easy to say this when some of us have just gotten back from Cambodia and the hard places community in Phnom Penh, but I wonder, do you believe in the domain of darkness? Do you see sin getting the best of us? Do you see women and children not being treated in the way that Jesus lived and taught? Do you see prejudice? Do you see people being excluded and left out? Do you see folks getting hurt? Do you see us running over people as we jockey for position and look out for ourselves? The domain of darkness is real and Jesus hates sin. He hates that it affects every one of us and every part of us. He hates the result of it. And his holiness says there's, a, there's this penalty that has to be paid. The wages of sin is death. But it's been paid. It was paid on the cross for you and I. When I was about 21 years old, I was flat broke. I had no money. I'd just been on a mission project for several months. I had quit my job to do that. I'd raised a little money, borrowed some from the parents. And man, I just did everything to squeeze out all I could to make it. When I got back, I just had nothing. I mean, I didn't have anything. And I got pulled over. I got pulled over for uh, a busted taillight. And this officer ran my license. I gave him my driver's license, gave my insurance. He went back to his squad car. You know how it works, some of you. He came back and said, Mr. Green, showing me respect I didn't deserve. He said, Mr. Green, you, um, you've got a lot of unpaid parking tickets. And uh, I'm required by law to, to you've got to pay. You've got to pay now. I said, sir, I don't have anything. I don't have any money. He said, you credit card, no credit card. So I get in a squad car. 
go for a little ride, and I use my uh, verbal persuasion skills to talk him into pulling over at this house where some of my friends live. Uh, I knew them well, and a couple of them had money or had parents that had money. And we went in, and with the with officer's spotlight on my shoulder, I talked some friends into the cash that I needed to escape, doing a little time in jail. I was on the way. No, no amount of good effort, no better behavior, no sincerity on my part would have allowed me to escape that. I needed somebody to pay this for me. And that's the message of the cross. I want our church to be a gospel church. I want us to be clear with the good news. On a hot summer day in July, I want to let you know or remind you that the, this is the gospel, the most important message. He redeems us and the penalty is gone. And I would say to some of you, because of the type of home you grow up, grew up in, if you were on a counselor's couch, he would talk to you about family of origin issues. But your God, your father, is not a distant authority figure who's hard to please. He loves you. He wants to embrace you. He's paid the penalty for your sin. You don't have to. The second idea is that we're released. Grace, the message of the cross, releases us. The power is gone. Romans 6.14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but you are under grace. When you try to prove yourself, I would say this, putting it in simple vernacular, in, in easy language for us. Jesus has won, so I'm free to lose. Jesus is somebody. I'm, I'm free to be a nobody. Jesus is strong. I'm free to be weak. Jesus is extraordinary. I'm free to be ordinary. I need to lean into his love to experience it. And as I do, it impacts every area, every relationship I have. Third idea is it reconciles prejudice. I'm sorry, reconciles. It, it brings us together. Look at this beautiful passage, Ephesians 2, 14. For he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. I was reading an article, a global article, in a, a worldwide magazine, and it was uh, done a, did a study, did some research, and it was delineating the results of this survey saying that people in the world who live close to a wall that divides people because of their skin color, their socioeconomic, whatever, their, their country, that these people suffer greater um, bouts of depression. Uh, they have a more cynical view of the world. They have uh, more ill health. Walls divide. The message of the cross is that we would be united. A couple of a couple of days ago, I received a, a letter, a three-page handwritten letter. How about that? You had one of those lately? Three-page, I mean, we all get emails, right? But a three-page handwritten letter. This was uh, written in response to um, our softball team of Fondren Church uh, playing another church across town. Now, nobody's in trouble here, okay? Everybody just relax. We got some of our, we got some of our softball players in the room. Nobody's getting called to the principal office. Love you guys. They dominated, won every game, won the championship for the third year in a row. How about Fondren Church, huh? Dear Pastor, my name is Blank, and I'm at Blank Minister at Blank Church. I also head up our men's competitive softball team. I love the fact that he puts competitive softball team in there. That's, that's part of the problem, pal. 
He says at our church, we have deep regrets when we played Fondra Church a few weeks ago on such and such date. Uh, there was a little confrontation at the end of the game. Everyone was, um, everyone gathered their cool. At first, it seemed tense. But later, we shook hands. We prayed together at the end of the game. I guess that's why only good news got back to the pastor, right? But he talks about in his apology of when things got heated, one of their players evidently sent a ball back to the dugout and it hit one of our guys and one of our guys maybe interpreted it as a, as, you know, a message or something. I think we beat them that night on the 15-run the rule, by the way. So the game was called, but maybe they thought our guys were a little chirpy or something like that. I'm not sure. And, and so he just... Um, explains and he apologizes but for him here's a guy who listen to this he's a pastor and he cussed at our guys and 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 he even writes the he abbreviates the cuss word that he used and he's so ashamed of himself he 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 stayed with him and he wrote to say man i just i'm having a hard time with this i need to I need to apologize, and we, we sort of did it on the field that night. We closed well, but I don't know who heard me say what I said. I don't know who knows who I am, but I, I apologize for my actions that night. It has weighed on me, and I want to be a better man. I want to be a better representative of Jesus in this community than what I showed on the field that night. And I wrote him back just a quick letter, and I said, all we do is win. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> And your hands go up. No. I said, my brother, I forgive you. Isn't it something in us that there's this wall, there's this partition, there's this uh, division, and there's this church and this church and this leader and that leader and this team and this team, and and we, we define ourselves by our competitive nature. And I want to say this. We're not being a church that honors God. I'm not being a leader. You're not, you're, you're not, if, if we don't see the magnanimous nature of God's grace. And he desires to bring peace. We, we preached on this shalom, God's intention that the world would be made right, that your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that you and I would be a part of that. And understanding God's grace, the yes, the message of Jesus is that we would be brought closer to people who are different than us. And when people lay something down that we can accept them and extend grace to them. Lastly, let me say that the the message of the cross, it removes the the past is gone. Colossians 2, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. It's like Louis Giglio said to our students at Passion last year, you you're not you needing a better version of you. You're, you're dead and you need to be brought to life. And that's what Jesus did. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Never a week goes by without hearing from one of you, somebody in our community, about something in the past something you've done, something that was done to you. Preacher, I need to talk. I've let this go. I, 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 thought, I, thought, I thought it was okay. I thought I could just let it lie dormant, but it's beginning to affect me. It's beginning to affect us. Uh, life is cumulative. It's added up. And we take things with us. 
ways we've been hurt, things that people have said. I love a a book. Some of you may have read this or heard about this. It's called The Whisper Test. There's um, a teacher. She teaches third graders. And uh, the writer of, of this book, Marianne Bird, she tells a story of this teacher that all the students love. Now, this, this lady who writes the book tells her story of when she grew up, she was born with a cleft lip. And she has, in her book, she says, I was born with a crooked nose, with a misshapen lip, with lopsided teeth, with garbled speech. And when other friends who just were getting to know me, classmates, uh, when they would ask me about my face, I would tell them that I fell and did this. For, for some reason, she writes that... If, 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 was, if this was caused by an accident, I would feel better about myself. But to be born this way, she hated the way she looked. She hated the way so many of her classmates treated her. And she, wrote, she writes about a, a Miss Leonard in this book, The Whisper Test. Miss Leonard, she describes as a short, robust, round, happy lady with a sparkling image that all the kids loved. And once a year to the third grader, she would give a whisper test where she would have them lean up against the wall and she would be seated at her desk and she would whisper something and they would need to hear what she said. Oh, the sky is blue, I, I need new shoes. What, what did she say? What did Miss Leonard say? Marion Bird says, I waited to hear what Miss Leonard would say and it became seven words that would change my life. She said that day, she whispered, I wish you were my little girl. God says to us that you are mine. That I love you. I want to walk with you. I love you in a deeper way than anybody else ever around you. And this message, this enduring widespread message of the gospel... It's us being released. It's us being redeemed. It's us being reconciled. It's us being removed from what brings us down, what brings us guilt, and at a deeper level, shame. Let's pray together. All the promises, God, All the promises you make to us find in Jesus their yes. And Lord, we we talked last week how sometimes we see you as being a God who limits us instead of liberates us. That you're more concerned in correcting us than connecting with us. And Lord, today you want to say to us, I wish you were mine. Lord, you want to bring us in. Your message from the cross was your arms wide open. You paid what we cannot pay. And when sin puts us in a squad car with no money, no resources, and we are bankrupt, we can look to you because you paid. You paid our penalty. And Lord, we don't want to be the church that moves too far away from a profound and simple message that needs to take root in our hearts. For these few moments, Father, we want to give them to you that we could pray, that we could sing a song of worship. 
that we could pray for one another in needs that we have around this room. Lord, be honored. Lord, today I pray that we would receive the yes of the cross and all the accordant promises that you give us because you sacrificed, you showed love. In you we pray. Amen. Church, would you stand? And a few of us are going to be uh, down front. Melinda, if you would, uh, stand down here just to receive for prayer. And Gary, Melinda, and I will be right here. We would love, I'm going to turn my microphone off. We would love this to be an opportunity uh, to pray with some of you. Is there a need in your life? Is there somebody else that needs prayer? Uh, Just anything. We would love for you to not be concerned about the people around you. to, To disregard that horizontal thing and just to look above and to consider how uh, your church family can uh, embrace you and pray for you. Uh, Would you have the courage to come today to be prayed for, to be prayed with uh, as God leads you? Let's sing. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power